You're listening to WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Create Your Life series, where we help you maximize your potential and results in the area of personal development, entrepreneurship, and travel. And I'm your host, Kevin Y. Brown. Create your life. Create ta propre vie. Create your life. people happy happy sunday how are you today this is the create your life series i'm your host kevin y brown and today is one of those days where we have a very amazing person in the studio and so happy to have her here of course before we get her on air and have her tell us all about these great things that she's done and about her journey that we are going to actually do catch up where you have the opportunity to find out what it is that i've been up to over the past week. So that being said, over this past week, I had the opportunity to celebrate with friends. And we talked about the things that we were thankful for. And the conversation ended up surrounding what it means to follow your true passion and uh, what it is that you're meant to do. For me, it was pursuing my childhood dream of being a clothing designer. And that's what actually landed me here. Even though there were transitions and other things that happened like that, we all had those stories about those transitions and those things that took place among our journeys. To be successful in what your dream is, you have to learn the game and then, of course, bend the rules to you. And um, that being said, you know, sometimes this requires, you know, going back to the basics. And that's going back to the basics even after you've been in the game for a little while. And so for those who are in the performing arts, you have the opportunity to learn from someone who is successful in your career field today because we have the quadruple threat. Quadruple means four. So that's a a four-way threat right here, all in one. And I also want to mention that she is a successful working. Emphasis on working. Actress, singer, dancer, fitness model and motivational speaker, Miss Lisa Nicole Wilkerson. Lisa, please say hello to the Create Your Life Series family. Hello, Create Your Life Series family. I hope you all are doing well. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you, Kevin, for having me. I'm excited. And you know, one of the funniest things about Lisa, Lisa's super low-key, super humble. So you really wouldn't know who, how amazing this young lady is until you go and start actually researching and really looking up, you know, her bio and all of these different things. So, Lisa, I'm going to have to bust your bubble right now and really just tell everybody some of the things that I got to find out. Because, you know, you see, I have this paper here, you know, with all of this stuff on it. So Lisa is the recipient of the 2012 uh, Fred and Adele Astaire Award as Outstanding Female Dancer in a Broadway Show. <clears throat> She was most recently, uh, she most recently played Anna Gordy in Broadway smash hit 
Motown the Musical. Prior to that, she served as dance captain and fight captain in the, correct me if I say this wrong, Gershwin's. Gershwin's. Gershwin's Porgy and Bess. Yes. Which was also the winner of the 2012 Tony Award for Best Music Revival. Yes. Musical Revival. And her performance uh, career includes Broadway's The Lion King, national tours of The Lion King. Somebody was Nala, you know, who's one of my favorite Lion King characters. And Mamma Mia. And also has done some off-Broadway plays and things like that. So she's got television and career highlights, all of these different things. And she's also the co-founder of Broadway in South Africa. You know, South Africa is one of my favorite places to visit. So can I say wow? Sure. Wow. <laughs> I'm going to say it like, wow, like, whoa. That's amazing. That's a great resume. And, you know, some Thank of us you. only aspire to be as great as others. So I'm thankful to know you because I have aspirations now. They just went through the roof. So, Lisa, wow, where do, where do we start? Uh, huh? So where do we start? At the beginning? <laughs> yeah, so you, you've done all these amazing things in the performing arts, but I understand that your original career goal was a little bit different. Uh, can you share with us what your original career goal was? Yeah. So, um, you know, I'm just a girl from St. Louis, Missouri. I went to school. I went to Northwestern University. Go Wildcats. We won our game yesterday, so I'm really excited about that. Um, and I went to school for journalism. You know, Medill School of Journalism is arguably one of the best journalism schools in the country, and that was what I wanted to do. I wanted to be an anchor on the Today Show, like killing the game in that arena. But my real passion is always storytelling and providing information to people. So one of the things that I did growing up was dance. My mom wanted to make sure that I could meet other kids my age because I didn't have any siblings. I'm an only child. Woot woot to the only children out there. <laughs> and uh, so I started dancing when I was four and okay. I stayed with it until I was a senior in high school. But again, because it wasn't a part of my curriculum, I really didn't dance a lot in college. Mm -hmm. So when I came out of school, I started working in corporate America. I was working for a company called Burson Marsteller, mm -hmm. uh, which is a global public relations agency in their media relations department. And, you know, I was like, I was really doing it at the time. Like, I had a, my own office and a, an assistant. And then one of my friends came along and was like, hey, girl, you want to go to a dance class? And I was like, yeah, let's go. It'll be fun. So I went to this class and something just hit me in the back of my head that reminded, I was reminded of how much I really loved to dance. So it became a hobby. So every, literally every day after work, I would find myself in the dance studio. And then I found myself running to the, like I couldn't wait to get out of work because I was so excited about going to wow. class. So this hobby turned into a passion. And then I realized, because again, I'm from St. Louis, but I was then living in Chicago. Shot town. Hey. Uh, and that was a place that was more of an entertainment town. Like people were actually pursuing performing arts as a career. Mm -hmm. And I had not, I didn't grow up with that. So I'm in class with people who were pursuing performing arts as a real career. And I thought, oh, I'm, I'm toe to toe with these people. Let me see if I can audition for some things. So I did. And I auditioned for like little gigs here and there. And I was booking everything. And even some of my coworkers would come out to support me and come to some oh, of the wow. shows. It was really cool. Very and you were booking your own gigs. Yeah. Okay. You know? And um, and then one thing led to another, and it just got to a point where I knew I needed to make a choice because it was like, you know, there were times when I don't tell anybody, but I was like taking off work to do gigs. And it's like, you can't do that. Like, you can't, <laughs> you know, I'm not trying to be fired. <laughs> so I um, I made kind of a pact with myself. And, okay. and I know some we'll get into that a little bit as we talk more. But 
you know, when you want to have a certain level of success in your life, I truly believe that success is a choice. And of course, success is based on what your definition of it is, but I do think it's a choice. And I chose to take advantage of what was in front of me by taking a risk. And I had a very cushy situation. It was a great job. I was paying my bills. Had some benefits. Huh? Had some benefits, you know. <laughs> and an assistant. Right, exactly. Okay. Um, did, you have a, did you have a nice, like, corner office, though, like, overlooking the city? Like, what well, was going on? you know, we were starting off. We were, we were fresh out of college. <laughs> so we, we weren't that. We weren't that balling. But not yet. <laughs> not yet. Right, right. But it was, I was happy to have what I had. And, um, but then I, I did. I ended up, I had just gotten a promotion, and mm-hmm. then I put in my resignation. And I remember my supervisor was like, aren't you going to miss coming to an office? And before I could even come up with something more um, diplomatic, I was like, are you serious? And, oh, wow. But it was all in good fun, and, and I left on good terms, and they told me if I ever, you know, they liked me, and if I ever wanted to come back, I was welcome, but I never needed to, and I'm just so grateful for the fact that I ended up being able to sustain myself as an artist. And uh, it was like a second, now I'm in like a second career. Talking about sustaining yourself as an artist, what is that percentage? You told me a crazy statistic yeah. about people being able to sustain themselves as artists. Yeah. I mean, you think about the thousands of people who flock to a New York City or an L.A. to mm-hmm. just make it, whatever that means to them. Right? right. And literally, it has still been the same for years. Less than one percent, less than one percent of the people who strive to become a working artist. That means that you are paying all of your bills, sustaining your life from your artistry actually make it to be able to do that and it's so because of that Mm -hmm. and because of because I recognize that that's a gift I don't take that lightly at all like I'm always very um, appreciative for the opportunities that I have I work Mm -hmm. very hard I've had to work very hard for all the opportunities that I've had Um, and I don't I don't take it lightly because um, I was telling you a story about when I first got to New York I was one of my survival jobs was as a uh, dance judge, a judge of a dance competition. And we went up to Canada and I was all excited, like, oh, I get to cross the border. And right. uh, <laughs> and we're in Canada, we're doing this thing. And one of the other judges was a lady who was a dancer and she had been in the city for 10 years. She was married and she told me that she and her husband were moving to Missouri and it was a small town of Missouri. You know, I'm from right, Missouri. Right, right. And I was like, I couldn't even fathom. I just, I, I, I literally could not wrap my head around the fact that somebody would move out of New York because I had just gotten here, you know, right, I was right, like, right. bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and I was just ready to like kill it. <laughs> and she gotcha. then said to me, you know, the reason why she was moving is because number one, her husband had inherited a, like a small business, like a, a karate studio or something okay. like that, which I thought was cool. Inheritance can be a good thing. Yeah. You know, they want <laughs> to be entrepreneurs. But the other thing that stuck with me is that she said she had been here for 10 years and she had never made it. So it was time for her to make a decision to try something different. And that's when it really hit home to me. People really come here like 10 years is a long time. I mean, one year can seem like a long time, but 10 years can be like a, seem like a long time to be grinding. And but it goes fast, faster in New York. It that does, 10 years. right? What does Absolutely. it call it? A New York Minute? Yeah, a New York Minute. <laughs> that's so real. And mm. um, But yeah, so she moved out and I thought, wow, this is, is real because... And that's not to say she wasn't talented. It wasn't mm-hmm. to say she wasn't driven. It wasn't to say that she didn't network and do all the things that you're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. But sometimes it happens for some people and it doesn't happen for others. And so, you know, for those reasons, 
and so many more. I'm just grateful for the opportunities that I've had. So I want to go back a little bit and ask you about this promise that you made to yourself. What was that? What was the promise? Yeah. So, um, you know, we talked a little about my parents. So like I was raised by two amazing people. Um, my dad really tried to instill a sense of self-reliance in me. Anytime I, you know, he wanted to make sure that I developed my brain. So Mm -hmm. anytime I would ask him, Hey, you know, what, what is the meaning of this or the meaning of that? Like different words, he'd be like, go look it up. And so that taught me that I could find the answers physically, like the answers to vocabulary words in elementary school Mm -hmm. or the answers to bigger questions that I might have for my life. Um, my mom, on the other hand, she was much more adventurous. She would always say, let's go, fu- let's go make an adventure out of it. And so she kind of taught me to see the extraordinary things out of ordinary life. And when, she, when I was growing up, my mom was sick. She contracted lymphoma when I was nine. And so for, you know, from when I was nine until I was 19, she was you know, very sick. And I got to see the ups and downs of what it is to be a living, breathing human being, but not able to actually actualize your dreams. You know, like she was a woman who was so strong and yet she had to depend on us to be able to help her with like the smallest things in life. And so from watching her, the two main takeaways that I got was that number one, life and the quality of life is really precious and it's a gift and it's absolutely not to be wasted. And I want to hit that home like life is a gift you know it's the life and the quality of life is not to be wasted and the second thing that I took away from that is that there are unforeseen things that happen in life things that you can't plan for things Mm -hmm. you don't see coming and so as a result of that I did make a promise to myself that while I had um whatever I had control over I would once these three things kind of came in line I would then make a move and I would live the fullest life that I could possibly live for what I could control. When you were at, at that job in Chicago and you wanted to go into the performing arts, you, you made a promise to yourself before you would leave the job. What was that promise yeah, that you made? Absolutely. So, but these are the three things I had to make sure were in alignment because okay. they're like these three stars that I have. Mm-hmm. So I said to myself, I always, even when I was a kid, when I had the opportunity, mm-hmm. the desire, and the energy to do things, that I would make a move. Those three aligned, those three stars had to be in line. So it's like you could have the opportunity, but if you don't have the energy or the desire, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. If you had the energy but no opportunity, you can't make a move. So those three things happened to line themselves up for me when I was making this move. And so then I said to myself, okay, you promised yourself that you would once you got a contract. So I said to myself, okay, there was an opportunity that presented itself. I auditioned for a show. It was a bona fide contract. It wasn't like a small little gig. It was like a real con- And what I mean by a real contract is something that was professional. So it was given to me by the union, the theater union, which is called the Actors' Equity Association. Okay. When that happened, I was going to go for it. And I didn't know when it was going to happen, but it did. Like one day I auditioned for a show and then they presented me with this thing and I barely even knew what the union was. But I was like, oh my God, I told myself when I got one of these, I would quit. So the opportunity happened and I had the energy to do it I had the desire to do it and so I went ahead and put my notice in and the rest is history the rest is history so how long did it take you to to transition because you were going to these classes after work every day and then you finally landed this contract what was the time frame uh between those two it was probably like around a year like it didn't happen right away Mm -hmm. um I had to build up 
technique and skill and also uh, confidence. You know, I was okay. in a completely different field and I needed to know for myself, is this something that I really can hang with? Can I really do this? So um, like about like a year, year and some change. And then uh, and I but I, at the same time, I knew I was like, oh, I mean, I, there was nothing holding me back. Right. <laughs> you know? Absolutely. So, why not? so what was the name of the show that you actually booked and where did it take you? So I was in Chicago. There's a show called, many people probably heard of it, Sophisticated Ladies. And it was a two-part um, uh, contract where I was able to work both in Chicago and also at the at the Seattle Repertory Theater in okay. Seattle, Washington, which wow. I had never been there before either. West so that Coast? Was, right. <laughs> West Coast? No shout out. <laughs> so it was great. It was great. And then I came back to Chicago. And ironically enough, the thing that took me from Chicago was that show. I came back, I was doing some gigs here and there, working for a dance company, the whole nine yards, and then I got a phone call asking if I was interested in going to do the show again in Washington, D.C. Okay. And I was like, okay, I like D.C., sure, why not? But while I was presented with the, with the job, and what I didn't tell you, it was like a two-week process. Okay. So they said, can you be in D.C. in two weeks to do this show? Wow. And I was like, yeah. But when I thought about it, I said to myself, okay, here's a three-month opportunity to go out of town. I've outgrown Chicago. There's nothing left for me to come back to, so why don't I just move? So, again, taking a risk. Again, those three stars lining up. I had an opportunity. I had a real desire to do it. And I had the energy to do it, right? Absolutely. So I said, okay, man, here we go again. I got to take another risk. So I sent half of my stuff to D.C., and then I sent the other half to St. Louis and had it sit in my uncle's basement. Thanks, Uncle Sput. I still love you so much for that. And, Thanks, uh, <laughs> and so I went to D.C. while I was there doing the show for a couple of months. A cast member asked me, yo, because the entire cast was from New York, except for me. OK. So she said, well, what are you going to do when the show is over? And I said, oh, well, I'll either carve out a life for myself here in D.C. or something will take me to New York. And then one of the other cast members overheard our conversation. This is when you know God is in the mix. This is when you know you're on the right path. Divine. Come on. Because she then chimed in and said, oh, well, I have a two-bedroom co-op. Clearly, I didn't know what a co-op was, but I was going to go Most with of it. us don't when you we know? first move here. <laughs> right. <laughs> so she had a two-bedroom co-op that she had been in for years and years. She was a New York native. She had a second bedroom that was available, and I could rent it out for her from her uh, for as long as I needed to until I got into a place of my own. And um, it was, um, it was. I mean, I didn't even know how good I had it. She charged me $300 a month to stay in her second bedroom at 94th and Columbus. So on the, on the Upper West Side. So it was just my dream come true. And then I came here and then um, that's when the ball really started to roll. I'm not going to lie. I was, it was a sad, I remember it was Super Bowl Sunday when I came up here and it was cloudy and I was nervous. I didn't really anticipate being so nervous because I was just one of those people that, you know, I made choices and I went for it. Mm-hmm. But I was nervous. And then I finally got here and then I said, all right, we got to make some moves. And I hit the ground running and started auditioning for lots of shows. And the first big show that I booked was Lion King National Tour. How long were you in New York before you actually booked the Lion King show? And And that that was about another that was just under a year. Just under a year. So what was your day to day grind like? You moved to New York. You're living in this apartment with this lady and she's giving you the rent for the low, right? Real talk. And so you're living with her, but what is your work ethic mm-hmm. and what does that day-to-day grind look like back then when you first got to New York? Because a lot of people don't understand what yeah. it takes to make it in New York. Yeah, I always say that, and a lot of people in my industry will say, there's the job and then there's the work. So the work is what gets you the job. The job is what finances the work. So the job is what pays your bills. 
But you can't get that until you have like a backlog of results from the work that you put in. So my grind was, number one, I had to find a job. Like I had to get some income. And so I actually was doing some part-time work at a Bikram yoga studio. And I really enjoyed yoga. And I thought, well, this is great. So I can take, I can work here, take classes for free. And, you know, it was a, it was a double thing. I could work out. I could, you know, keep my body in shape. But other aspects, and then and then that part-time job paid for dance classes. I was in class practically every day of different types. You know, with musical theater, you have to have a wide range of skill sets. Right. Because you don't know what the sh- next show you're going to do. You could be in a tap show. You could be in a show that requires jazz, mu- jazz dancing, lyrical, ballet, whatever it is. Ballet is always the foundation, though, so I made sure that I was always taking classes. Also, with musical theater, you have to be able to speak lines, right? So you have to be able to embody a character. So there were acting lessons. There were voice lessons. All of this costs money, and all of this takes time. So you have to really be able to have good time management skills mm-hmm. and also manage your money well because New York is expensive, and you also want to take advantage of everything that's here for you. So right. for me, that was what it was. It was just me grinding all the time in a class, some kind of class, and then also auditioning, like checking the audition notices, and then where do you get the audition them. notices from? That's just a really curious. good question. So a lot of people, when they first start off, they um, access a publication called Backstage. Yep, heard of it. And so. In the physical, like in the magazine portion of it, there's the back, in the back section are all the different auditions and they categorize them by type. So it could be theater, cruise ships, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, you can also go to the Actors' Equity. So it's like actorsequity.org is the, is the website. And there are audition notices there as well. Mm-hmm. So even if you're not a member of the union, you can go there find out what auditions are happening, and then go to what are called open calls. And so I didn't, went to a lot of open calls because I didn't have um, agency representation at the time. And, um, and then sometimes you just, and then again, it's, networking is very important in the industry. So there'll be people who will tell you, oh, yo, I heard about this thing. You should go. And then you just like go. There have definitely been many of an audition that I've crashed. I did not get an invitation, and I went anyway. <laughs> so you just have oh, to Oh, for real? It. You just showed up? Just Showed up. Hey, I'm giving you an in-studio <laughs> high five for being bold like that in there. I like that. That's the real creating your life, like, you know, going for it. But you're a risk taker. I am. Automatically. So I'm hearing a lot of that and what it is that you're saying. So all of that grind and being in those classes and those things like that, that's what landed you on Lion King. Absolutely. What made you Nala. <laughs> so, well, you know what was actually interesting about Lion King is that I had heard mm-hmm. uh, that it was a show that would just break you, like as a dancer, because it was you have to wear puppets. You have to, it's a it's a the show is a grind in and of itself. Mm-hmm. So I was a little afraid. I was like, you know what? Let me go in and sing a song, and maybe they'll put me in one of those tracks uh-huh. that require less physical activity, so right, to speak. Right. So I walked in, I did my song, and I got a callback. At the callback, meaning that's the a second round of auditions, uh-huh. I was able to go to the casting office. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, they had me sing a few songs. And then the casting director looked at my resume and said, oh, do you dance? And I was like, oh, man, he's actually asking me this question. Don't ask me this question. So I was like, <laughs> yeah, yes, I do. As a matter of fact, and he said, well, great, because there's a dance audition tomorrow at such and such a time. And so would you, if you come, you know, just wave at me so you... I, I'll be reminded of who you are. And I said, okay, great. I'll see you there. And of course I was like, oh man, that's the one thing I didn't want to do. So I go to the audition 
I danced. Ultimately, obviously, I booked the show. But what I learned, again, it's like you, you can't win if you don't play. You've got to put yourself in the ring. What I realized yeah. is that what they needed in the show was somebody who could sing and dance because they needed a tra- they needed someone who was basically like a utility guy. So someone who could dance and girl. sing or a utility girl mm-hmm. um, and who could also cover leading roles. And so I was that person. So I covered, I had my own track as you, you know, like what I did in the show from night to night. And mm. then on whatever occasion, if, if either Nala or Shenzi, so I covered both of those roles, if they were out, then mm. they would put me in to those roles. And so as an understudy, I played those roles, I countless number of times. And so at one point, the Nala in the show then left and they needed to find someone to replace her. And ironically enough, I mean, it's, you know, a story in and of itself, but there were three of us. There were three covers in the show. Right. So we thought, okay, well, one person will probably get bumped up and they'll bring someone else in as a new ensemble person. But what ended up happening is they took, they looked at us and then they did a national search for someone to cover that role. Wow. And we were like, oh, okay, well, I guess they're going to look for someone else outside the show. No big deal. Two weeks before she was going to be her last performance, the mm-hmm. show came to me and said, we'd like to offer you this part. But here's the thing, and I'm, I'm, this, is, this is real talk right now. As excited and happy as I was, you always have to remember that being an artist is also being a business. It's not just about the, the singing and the dancing and the artistry of it. And it, there, there is a business behind what you do. And so part of your business is to know your value and to know your worth. Absolutely. And so Absolutely. what I knew I was being offered, even though it was my first real thing out the gate, mm-hmm. I had come from a completely different world. Like, I came from a corporate world. I came from a different world where I knew, in many ways, like, contracts and how to negotiate for myself and how to speak up for myself and how Mm -hmm. to advocate for myself. Because that's really what representation does. And if you don't have representation, you have to, like, muster up the courage to advocate for yourself. And so... I did. I had to push him back a little bit on that. And I was like, I would love to do it. Thank you so much. However, um, what they were offering me wasn't wasn't sufficient sufficient for my needs. And they they pushed back. And, you know, I'm like, oh, my God, I'm challenging the mouse like it's Disney for crying out loud. But they even said, well, aren't you happy to have like, doesn't she want this job? And I was like, it's not about what if I want it. It's about being able to have it in such a way that I'm not going to walk into work every day bitter because I short sold myself. Mm. So did a little bit of negotiation and then they had to kind of meet my demands, so to speak. And then that that's what made it really that's what made me even more proud of booking it because I stuck up for myself as a woman, as a black woman. I mean, it's hard, um, as we clearly know, like in the today's current climate. But it was necessary. And um, I'm, I'll, I, if I had to do it again, I would do it again. Well, I'm happy. I'm happy that you were able to advocate for yourself like that because I, I know a lot of times artists don't necessarily understand the financial aspect to their craft. So you being able to to do that is just awesome. And actually being able to tell that to our listeners, you know, to the Create Your Life series fam, that you're dope, know your worth and ask for what it is that you're worth. So what was the end result of that negotiation? I mean, they had to, they knew that their backs were against the wall. I think what ended up happening in that situation was that I knew that I had some power in the situation because, number one, I already had a job. The job was being in the ensemble of that same show. Right. Um, and I was fine doing that. Number two, they gave themselves very little time for 
bringing a new person on. I think the thought process probably was she's already in the show. She probably won't give us any pushback on it. We can tell her basically the day before, you know, we're talking two weeks and it won't be an issue. Um, but I had to I had to advocate, for, as I mentioned before, I had to advocate for myself. And they knew that their backs were against the wall. They needed to have someone in that part by the time that the downbeat happened on that following, you know, on that day that I was supposed to start. So it just it worked in my favor. So I was grateful for that. So you got the role. You took it. They bent to your negotiations and you got it. Yep. Okay, awesome. So seeing that and understanding that you needed more in order to sustain in New York, how important is financial education for an artist, in it's your opinion? Ex- to me, it's extremely important. Um, there's, a, there's a saying in our industry as artists, you go from like feast to famine because you could be on top of the world. You could be in a Broadway show doing very well for yourself having plenty of money to pay your bills, plus add to your savings, plus have a little extra for fun. And then if that show, even when, right, because most shows close, that show closes, you're either on unemployment or there's no income at all coming in. So you need to be able to have a cushion for yourself. So it is extremely important that artists have a certain level of competency as it relates to being able to understand what portion of your salary that you would put towards savings? I mean, what portion of your salary that, you know, you put into investments that can grow on their own without your help necessarily? Um, understanding the stock market, understanding um, mutual funds, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm really grateful that a lot of the contracts that our union, again, Actors Equity, provides, you can get a 401k. So it's like you don't even, because a lot of times artists don't think about retirement. Absolutely. And it's like you have to plan for the future. You want to be able to have a certain lifestyle after you're done kicking your leg up eight times a week. So or or beyond that, even, you know, when you get to retirement age. And so um, it's I, I personally think that it's not necessarily more important than any other industry, but it's extremely important because you already know the nature of our business is that you don't know what you're going to be doing from month to month, year to year. Speaking of being able to get to that retirement point, we had a prior conversation. One of the awesome things that you said to me was, is that there's a science to having a successful long career on Broadway. And part of that science is actually that it's more than just talent. Can you tell us what you break down as the science to having a a long, long career? Yeah. I mean, again, I always go back to success as a choice. And so number one, it's making the choice to stick with it. Because mm-hmm. if you want to have a long career, it's not about today, it's not about tomorrow, it's like looking down the field, right? Absolutely. So you have to make the choice to stick with it through the ups and downs. Um, I think, again, training is imperative. You ask anyone on Broadway, everyone will tell you, the training never stops. And what you also want to do is learn how to reinvent yourself. Because the personality of Broadway... The trends of Broadway, just like any other industry, it changes, it shifts. So what Broadway is today, like what a traditional Broadway musical theater song is today is totally different from 10 years ago. Now we have Hamilton. You know, you've got people doing spoken word and rap on stage in a way that you could have, wouldn't even imagine five, six, 10 years ago or beyond that. So it's understanding, keeping up with the trends and then being able to shape your brand. Because again, we're, you as an artist are a business. Shape your brand around that trend and how do you fit how do you authentically see yourself fitting into that and when you see yourself fitting and then when you've made the determination on how you do fit into that constantly 
reinforcing it with yourself. And that goes back to what training, like training yourself, acting, voice lessons, acting lessons of different types. You could be doing classical work, monologues, um, improv, comedic classes. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And even you today, as you're so successful as you are, you're constantly in classes. Constantly. Have you ever had to be on a show and then be auditioning or taking classes to audition for another show at the same time? Yeah, it happens a lot. Um, You know, you get into a show and there is a little bit of a breather that you want to take because you're like, oh, this is great. I'm finally... Because again, again, I, I make the distinction. There's the job and then there's the work. The job is what funds the work. And the work is what gets you the job. And mm, so wow. I, so when you're in a job, you're in a show, there's an understanding that this show's not going to last maybe, or even if it does last, as an artist, you guys out there know, you're so multifaceted. And so that one show, it might be the most amazing thing for itself, in and of itself, but then there may be other things you're, you're really interested in. So of course you're going to be, auditioning for other things so maybe on your off day most shows are dark on Mondays and so sometimes Mm -hmm. people do other gigs on Mondays or during the day you will have auditions for other types of things like as you know I do voiceovers as well so oftentimes it'll be like most voiceover auditions happen during business hours so it's a matter of getting up every single thing that you do in your day again that goes back to time management you have to think about what time i have to be at the show that night so you wake up in the morning depending on if you have an audition if you have if i have an audition at 10 i need to get up at seven at the latest to get myself warmed up to um, and when i say warm up meaning exercise do some stretching do some vocal warm-ups because the voice is a muscle and if you don't work it, it it will go away staying up on even current events like reading like what's what's going on in the world you have to keep your mind sharp and everything needs to be kind of like percolating at the same time so it's really important to have a well-rounded life in that way but also manage your time to be able to get up fit all that stuff in so you can get to work on time at night okay so you you said something that I, that I thought was really cool when you talked about taking on that lead acting role and things like that. Mm-hmm. But what do lead actors actually do between productions? Yeah, that's... You know, when you don't have the gig thing. lined up and, you know, already. So what is it that they do? And is it better to be a lead actor in the ensemble? Like, who works more? Yeah, I mean, as a lead, it's very... It's, it's interesting. Um, when you're in between... Well, let me actually take a step back. The one thing that I think people don't talk about when it comes to aspiring to be lead art, lead actor in whatever it is, is that you there are fewer roles out there and a lot of people vying for those fewer roles. Fewer lead roles. Fewer lead roles gotcha. than ensemble roles. So Enough. talking about a Broadway show, let's just say, for example, there are 25 people in the cast. The vast majority of people in that cast are going to be Ensemble, ensemble meaning people who are there to provide atmosphere and to help shape the story, help shape the picture of the show, the visual picture of the show. But you won't necessarily know their names or their particular journeys. They're there to help support the people whose names you will know, the lead actors, those lead characters. So maybe you have 15 ensemble people and then like 10 like, or maybe like 15 ensemble people, maybe five featured, and then like another five leads. Okay. But then when that show closes, you may have to wait until there's an opportunity for what you have to offer fits to the next, oppor- like the next uh, show. Absolutely. So that's where in that time, you don't wait. You don't just sit idly waiting. You're constantly 
maybe doing readings of a show that come up. So like readings are where um, there's a show that's being developed and the creative team wants to hear what it sounds like, wants to wants to see what it looks like on bodies. Right. So you just have like table reads and then like you they'll hire people to come in to read the script. And then if they want investors for the show, they may invite people in who might be potentially, you know, put money into it or put some other type of resource into the show. Mm -hmm. And then you just get into any random studio in New York City. There's so many of them. There might be um, music stands. You put your script on the music stand and then you do this. You say these words, you sing these songs, and then that's it. Okay, so that's one of the ways to so it keep keeps, some yeah, so it like keeps the cash flow coming in. Although readings don't pay very much, but it keeps the it keeps the skill set sharp. That's uh, the point. Right, right. That's the point. You have to keep yourself sharp. You can't sit idly by. Because trust, there'll be an opportunity that's going to come. Mm-hmm. You just want to be ready for it. You've been in some big time things, but you, I know you've also had to have had some uh, some roles that you didn't get, right? And oh, yeah. You were talking about doing a voiceover. You went and did your first voiceover. Can you tell us about that experience? Ha. <laughs> Um, yeah, so voiceovers, so the interesting thing about voiceovers is something I've wanted to do for years and years and years. And it's really, I've always been told it was a hard industry to break into. So um, when I was in Motown, I made the determination that, okay, this is something I want to do. So while I'm in this show, while I have this extra cash flow, let me go ahead and invest in putting together what's called a reel, a, de- a voiceover demo reel. So it just basically showcases what vocal range that I have for doing voiceover commercial work or audiobooks or whatever. So I ended up getting an agent for that. And um, my very first gig was a video game <laughs> that I did last year. And it was funny because my agent called me at 9.30 that morning and said, hey, we have a last minute audition, but you need to be into the office by noon. And can you do a Louisiana accent? And I said, give me five minutes, I'll call you back. So I went online, literally YouTubed Louisiana, New Orleans accents, found the perfect video, called them back and said, I will be there in an hour. And it's like, you got, you know, you can't win if you don't play. And so I Absolutely. literally went into the audition. I was like, let me go ahead and do this. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I booked it. Okay. <laughs> so I'm like the voice of a character in a video game, but I can't say the name right now because it hasn't really been released. Cool. Well, soon to be. So you got that role, but how do you stay motivated after you get rejected for a role? Mm. So, um, yeah, that that's a very real thing. And I can definitely say for myself the very first thing that I do is have an internal dialogue about not shutting down because it's very easy to feel like have a pity party and just close yourself off when you feel rejected. So I make a point to say, no, it's not necessarily a rejection. It's just that that wasn't it for right now. So I keep myself open. And then when you keep yourself open, I, you know, you want to have some constructive feedback and I want to listen to that feedback. And then based on what that feedback is, um, I will take the notes, take the instruction. So for, so, you know, one thing I'd share with you before is that recently I had gone in for an audiobook. And I've never done an audiobook before, and it's my first audition. It was a callback, and it was an amazing opportunity, but the director was giving me note after note after note, like giving me stuff to do. And I was, I was making the adjustment, but I could tell that it wasn't something that I was, I didn't have an aptitude for it at a high enough level to be able to get hired to do it yet. So then he gave me notes, and I was like, great. And one of the things specific to voiceovers that he was suggesting that I do now is tape yourself, 
listen to the play, like take past tape passages from books or whatever. Tape it, listen to yourself on the playback, really hear what it sounds like, and then continue to work on that until you really know what you're doing. And then have your agent call me back. They liked me. I wasn't really right for the part in that moment, but it's hard. I will say that's one of the hardest parts about the business is all the internal stuff that you have to do. You can go to as many classes as you want, but if you can't stomach the quote unquote, I don't even like the word rejection, but if you can't stomach when you can't get something or if someone gives you a note to make you better and you can't do the work to make yourself better and then keep going, because that's the thing. It's like, again, making that choice to stick with it, the longevity of a career. It's going to be that much more challenging for you. Mm. Wow. So that's the Lisa Nicole Wilkerson way of staying motivated after not getting the opportunity. It is. It's like I have to you have to keep empowering yourself to keep going you have to do that because at the end of the day you are your biggest advocate and Mm -hmm. it's not just an external advocate for yourself you have to be an advocate for yourself internally you have to tell yourself positive things you have to tell yourself that there you have to remind yourself that there's a reason why you're doing this Mm -hmm. and as hard as it gets sometimes as um sometimes it doesn't even seem like it makes sense like I can't believe you know like you know you're not always going to have a job, so why are you doing this, <laughs> you know? Right, right. But you love it, mm-hmm. and you have to remind yourself that, yeah, I love this, and I know that I've been gifted, like, this is a divine thing, that I've been gifted this opportunity to come, to do, to share this. Right, to share yourself. To share yourself. And people are also waiting. It's like, you have a responsibility to yourself. This is what I also And where believe. does this passion come from, Lisa? Where is that coming from? Because well, I can see it in your face. You're, like, almost tearing up like, because really you're in love with I do. what well, you do. It does come, you know, we were talking about my mom. It definitely comes from that. It goes back to, it. for me, it always goes back to those two main lessons I learned. That life and the quality of life is a gift. Mm-hmm. And it is not to be wasted. And number two, you there are just unforeseen things that are going to, it's not if, it's when something happens. So it's like, take the bull by the horns right now. Live your fullest life and your best life right now. And then if you get tomorrow... That tomorrow is a gift. So then take the bull by the horns again and keep it moving. Keep it moving forward. And the other thing is, you know, we have responsibility to ourselves because we've been given this gift. But we also have responsibility to the community at large. There are people waiting on us Mm -hmm. to actualize certain dreams and to get because, again, when I've had the opportunity to actually do some speaking engagements, I typically speak on the power of choice. And I feel like when you choose success it puts you on a trajectory it puts Mm -hmm. you on a path towards something or away from something and real talk there's no such thing as not making a choice if you think you're not making a choice it's just choosing to stay put and that's okay too Mm -hmm. but if you put yourself on a path when I'm on that path someone's going to be on that path waiting for me to get Mm -hmm. there to get what they need so that they could go on their path so that somebody else can get what they need and it's like a cyclical effect and so I just am very passionate about Use your, like, live your life and use your gifts. Create your life, you mean? Yeah. Create your life. So you talked about an agent. How did you pick your agent? Yeah, that's a really or good. Do you, do you have an agent? Do you have agents? I don't know. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I have two agents. One, the acronym is CESD. It's cunning, it's a, it stands for Cunningham Escott, Slevin and DePini. And they have multiple 
divisions. And so sometimes... So this is an agency, not a particular agent. Exactly. It's an agency. It's an office of various departments. And so sometimes you can have one agent and then you can be part of different departments. So at this particular agency, I'm in three departments, on-camera commercials, voiceovers, and also print. I'm also with another print agency for more fitness modeling gigs, and that's silver model management. Wow. But I got into the on-camera department by way of a recommendation. Because I was in that office, um, I ended up submitting my voiceover reel to get the voiceover agency representation. And then when one of the voiceover agents happened to look at my website and saw that I did fitness modeling, she then contacted me and said, hey, our print department is looking for <laughs> fitness models. You want to submit? I, she submitted for me. Mm-hmm. And then the print department contacted me. So it's like you never know. Like It was kind of an inside job for that. But then for, my, for the other outside agency, I just submitted myself and then I got an appointment. And then with agents, you know, it's a, it's a symbiotic relationship. It's not just you waiting for them to pick you. You need to know that it's a right fit. So if someone does invite you to come into their office and have a meeting with them, have that meeting, have questions ready. Absolutely. You know, what is your agency style? What casting directors do you know and do you frequently communicate with? Because depending on what that agency has a proficiency with, that'll then help determine if that person is going to be able to what advocate for you in the way that you want your career to go. Can you give us three tips on somebody who's looking to have an agent, looking to be signed to an agent? What, what is it that they should be looking for? Oh, that's a great question. So first, they have to look at themselves. What do you do? Like, are you a singer, an actress, like dancer? What is that? And then based on what you do, then you research agencies that have departments that represent those things. Mm -hmm. And then you can either, if you know people who are part of those, who are clients with them, you can ask that they submit you or you can do submissions on your own. Typically, submissions are online. They're all the, most agencies have websites, and they'll have a tab that'll show you how to submit for yourself. Do you advise to select the agency or to kind of go with an agent? Because I think right now, you actually book your own Broadway shows, right? Yeah. So you've so to that point? Yeah, like I've been able to audition on my own, like with Motown, for example. Um, I knew people in the show. Um, the casting agency contacted me directly, so did not go through an agency to mm-hmm. get to me. And then I went in um, and auditioned on my own for that. But again, I have I have history with casting agencies in the city. So how important is your is a relationship in making sure that you're a team player on the actual cast? Oh. Because I feel like, you know, that might lead to other opportunities and references and things like that that can open up doors. Absolutely. I mean, Motown is a perfect example. A lot of like so my dance partner um, from Porgy and Bess was a member of that show. And when the casting agency contacted me and said, hey, there's a slot open. Would you be willing to come in and audition? I contacted him and another guy in the show and said, hey, does it make? Oh no, I know what it was. They asked if I was interested in auditioning for the tour, the Motown tour, and I wasn't really interested in that. But I contacted them and said, "Hey, want to get your thoughts on this? Do you think it's necessary for me to do it, just to even be back in the front of the minds of the people who are casting the show?" And then they said, "Girl, you need to be in the Broadway show, please." And so then they advocated for me wow. to the creative team, wow. and then I came in for the creative team for Broadway. And then I ended up booking the Broadway show, so I didn't have to go on tour, which is great. Wow. Not that, you know, tour isn't a bad thing. No, (laughs) tour can be a bad thing. Right. I've done two. It's fine. (laughs) (laughs) So this is, and this is a selfish question. Uh, For me, I have success, success amnesia. Like every day I wake up, it's like I never accomplished anything. I never look back at that. Can you tell me like how it is that you overcome that? I mean, you've got accomplished. Wait, I've done, I've had success? What? Just kidding. (laughs) Um... 
Yeah, that's a thing. I think most artists go through that because you're so on the grind and you're so thinking about the next thing, what's the next thing, what's the next thing. Um, one thing that I actually do that I forgot about is that I scrapbook. I haven't done it for the last show that I, I didn't do it for Motown yet, but because it's like you do a show and you pick up all this stuff. You've got playbills and posters and cards and really cool things. And it's like you want to be able to have them all in one condensed thing so that you can also kind of get on with your life. So for me, that's I have these scrapbooks of like shows that I've done. And then if I pull them out, it's like, oh, wow, I forgot about that experience. Oh, that was really cool, you know. Um, and it's also a way to celebrate your life. It's a way to, you know, honor the opportunity that you had, in my opinion. That's part of the reason why I do it. Um, but then number two, it's also really good to have good people in your life who can celebrate you. Um, you know, you were talking about how, like, you earlier in the week you were with friends and you were able to, like, talk about what you wanted to do in life and celebrate and be, what, what are we thankful for? Like, this is, you know the end of Thanksgiving season weekend and um it's good to have people in your life to remind you because there have definitely been times where I've talked to friends on the phone like yeah you know I'm trying to figure out what I'm doing next or you know you have these moments where you do, might be a little down on yourself and then your friend is like girl you remember you did this and this and this and this and this and it's like yeah I get it. okay yeah I guess so you know and it helps to boost you back up again and go Absolutely. okay I'm gonna stay in the ring I'm gonna stay stay in the game so it's good well, Miss Lisa Nicole Wilkerson, I want to thank you so much for contributing and, and coming and sharing your knowledge and your journey with the Create Your Life Series family. It's absolutely my pleasure, my pleasure. And, um, you know, I just, again, just want to leave, leave people with the idea that choices matter. Your choices matter. And I really do believe that you can choose your success. It's just, you know, being active with that, you know, not... Life can make choices for you or you can make choices for your life. And I, I would advocate, I would encourage everybody to make choices for your life. Absolutely. You hear that, everybody? Create your life. We had the opportunity to talk with Miss Lisa Nicole Wilkerson today. And she's an amazing quadruple threat on Broadway who has been doing some amazing work. And she really just blessed us with a lot of jewels today. So I want to do a quick recap and tell you that two of the tips that she gave to us um, about overcoming success amnesia, which is something that I actually, I don't want to say suffer from, but something that I often do, you know, when I'm forgetting how some of my accomplishments, she said the scrapbook. And you want a scrapbook so that you can then reflect back on the opportunities that have been allowed to you. And then she also said, number two, of course, have good friends around you who genuinely love you and are paying attention. Key emphasis on paying attention to the things that you are doing so that then they could come to your aid when you feel like you haven't uh, accomplished anything. Another thing that she said, she gave us a, a formula for when she actually takes a risk or takes that jump. And she said that, you know, I want to make sure that there's an opportunity there that I have the desire to actually do it and that I have the energy to do it. So that's her formula for success before she ever does anything is that she want to make sure that those three things are in alignment for her. And the last thing that she said, which I am loving, she said that the job, the job funds the work. And it's the work that gets you the job. So it's in cycle. I'm going to say that again. The job funds the work. It allows you to get the work. And the work allows you to get the job. So beautiful people, this is the Create Your Life series. This is Sunday, the very best day of the week to get you and your week started off right. I want to encourage you to comment on our Instagram page at CYL series. And also I want to say thank you to everybody who was on uh, the Facebook live stream. Lisa, wave to the Facebook live stream. And this is to create your live series. See you next Sunday.
This episode of the Create Your Life series is brought to you by Manners Soul Food and Salad Bar Restaurant in Harlem, New York. Manners is open seven days a week from 8 a.m. to 10 p.m. Manners has been serving soul food in Harlem for 31 years. They have now added healthier options to their 8th Avenue locations menu, such as steamed dumplings, a fresh salad bar, and all of their food is cooked with fresh herbs like garlic, rosemary, thyme, basil, and ginger. You can find out which location is close to you by visiting their website, soulfood.com.